First Kings chapter 3. Now, Solomon begins the gathering of wives, of which it seemed had no end. He had made an affinity with the Pharaoh of Egypt, and he took the Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. First Kings 3.1. So he took first of all the Pharaoh's daughter as his wife, and later on he built her a house there in Jerusalem. But he was wanting now to build a house for the Lord, the temple in Jerusalem, because the people sacrificed in those days just on the high places because there was no house built in the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places. First Kings 3, 2-3. Which was more or less copying after the pagans around them. Right? So the king went to Gibeon, and there on the high place of Gibeon, he offered a thousand burnt offerings on an altar there. Verse 4. So he had a great sacrifice unto God. Now, it must not be thought that these animals were just sacrificed and burnt. On these great sacrifices like this, these were peace offerings, or sometimes and oftentimes as a peace offering, they were more or less celebrations, almost where they were just great feasts. You're going to have a gigantic barbecue, but they would offer the animals. They would sacrifice the animals to the Lord. In other words, the idea was, Lord, we're sacrificing these animals for you. An acknowledgement that you are the giver of all these good gifts and so forth. But then they would go ahead and roast the meat and they would, well, they would all have a gigantic barbecue, big party. And everyone would eat of it. So they were, there were times of feasting. And it is interesting, you remember, they were called feast days because they were times of great feasting when you would come before the Lord. It was always a time of celebration and feasting because God wanted the thought of worshiping him to be associated with joy and with happiness. Now, I don't know where people got the idea that worshiping God should be, you know, this sad and mournful event. It's tragic that the church went through a period of, of its history where the more somber and sober you looked, the more righteous you were thought to be. So all the ministers were seeking to affect a very serious and somber appearance. And they even developed voices with that great, you know, kind of mournful, like the more you could sound in a mournful tone, really the more spiritual and righteous you were. <laughs> oh, brother, and you're supposed to look real solemn and sober and all, and and that's supposed to mean that you're very righteous. And if you dare crack a smile, man, you've had it. They know that you've been, you know, not doing your job or something, you know, because somehow they didn't relate worshiping the Lord with joy. So strange. And yet God wants us to relate the worship of him with joy, with thanksgiving, with party, if you please. You know, not the wild parties, but, but you know, a party with, you know, like we do for Thanksgiving. We have all the family come over, and, and we're eating the turkey, and, 
you know, this gigantic bucket of green beans, you know, stuff like that. You know, and fellowshipping with God. And it should be the greatest joy that a person can experience. And you should always go away from true fellowship with God, with your soul lifted and your heart light, and just rejoicing in the glory and the goodness of the Lord. So Solomon offered a thousand sacrifices there. So it was time, it was a time of great feasting. And of course, you eat a lot of that lamb and you're going to get sleepy. So he went to sleep. And he had a dream, and in his dream, the Lord came to him and said, Solomon, ask whatever you will. Now, if God should say that to you, what would you ask for? Now, this can be very revealing. I mean, it can reveal an awful lot about you. If you really are honest in this, if if God should say, ask me anything you want, what would be your request? For your answer to that would reveal whether or not you are living on the flesh side or the spiritual side of your nature. If you desire, if your desire would be for great riches, if your desire would be for fame or honor or glory, it means that somehow you're still suffering under the illusion that you can one day maybe find satisfaction in your flesh and in the things of the flesh. <laughs> no way. But if your answer be, oh God, that I might just walk with you in close fellowship, Lord, that I might be the person you want me to be, or if your answer is in the spiritual things, then that indicates also the fact that your heart is really after God and the spiritual things of God for your desiring spiritual benefit. So Solomon said, Lord, Here I am, sitting on the throne of my father, David, ruling over your people, such a great number and multitude that they can't be numbered. And Lord, I really don't know what I'm doing. I'm a novice at this. I don't know what a king is supposed to do. I don't know how to go in and come out. There are so many important decisions that have to be made. Judgment that I might have wisdom and understanding that I may properly discern and judge over these people. And it pleased the Lord. And the Lord said to him, Because you didn't ask for riches or for long life or for the life of your enemies, but instead you asked for wisdom and understanding in ruling the people. I will give to you wisdom and understanding above any who has ever come before you or who would come after you. Verses 11 and 12. Now, as you go into the fourth chapter, and and, and in verse 30 and 29, and, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart even as the sand that is on the seashore and solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of egypt and he was wiser than all the men than ethan the ezraite and heman and chokol and darda the sons of mahal and his fame was in all of the nations round about and he spoke three 
thousand proverbs. He wrote a thousand and five songs. He spoke of trees from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts, of fowl, of the creeping things, of fish, and there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all kings of the earth which had heard of his wisdom. Verse 29 through 34. Oh man, God give me wisdom. And God said, because you've asked for wisdom, understanding, I'm going to give it to you. But I'm also going to give you those things that you didn't ask for, great riches and honor. And if you will walk in my commands, I'll also give you long life. Again, that's a condition. But I'm going to give you more than what you asked for. I'll give you what you asked, but even more. Now, the principle is stated by Christ. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. Now, it's wrong of us to think that riches are either signs of spirituality or morality. Riches are amoral, I mean, really. However, riches can be a hang-up. They did become a hang-up for Solomon. I mean, fame can be a hang-up because it became a hang-up for Solomon. The Bible says, set not your heart upon riches, Psalm 62.10. Or seek not to be rich. That should never be a goal or an ambition for the Christian. Seek not to be rich. And they that will be rich, we are told, fall into Diverse temptations that drown men's souls into perdition. 1 Timothy 6, 9. The Bible also said, If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Psalm 62, 10. Let your heart remain set upon the Lord. Never upon riches. Never trust in riches. Trust in the Lord. And so God promised to him more than what he had asked for. And this, again, is just one of those indications of God's grace, giving more than what we had asked for. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. God's desire is to give good gifts to his children. He delights in doing so. God delights in just giving to you. Even as parents who are able delight in giving to their children or to their grandchildren. I mean, it's a joy. It's a thrill. So God delights in giving to his children. Are you one of his children? So Solomon woke up, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant, and he burnt and he offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings. Verse 15. Burnt offerings are offerings of consecration. The consecration of life, my life, to God. The peace offerings are the offerings of communion. Entering into communion and fellowship with God. So there came two women to Solomon. And well, they were prostitutes and they were living together. And the one said... We both of us had children within a few days of each other, and 
she is she in the night rolled over onto her child and suffocated it and she pulled the old switcheroo she put the dead child next to me and she took my live child the woman said no the live child is mine and the dead child is hers and they were both affirming that the child belonged to them and so solomon said bring a sword and the women arguing over it cut Cut the live child in two and give them each half. That's what Solomon said. Cut that baby in two. And the true mother of the child said, Oh, no, 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 no. Give her the child. Don't do that. Give her the child. And the other one said, I know. That's a good deal. Cut it in half and divide it. And Solomon said, Give the child to its mother. And all the people heard of this. And they marveled at the wisdom of Solomon in dealing with this issue. Okay, chapter four. So now as we get into chapter four, we have listed here those princes that were prominent during the reign of Solomon. And then the 12 officers who were all over all of Israel who provided the food for the king's household, each man in the month of the year. So he had 12 men, and each of them were responsible to provide the food for one month during the year. Sounds like a pretty good job, right? I mean, you work one month, and, and you have 11 months vacation. <laughs> well, no, not really. I mean, they were probably trying to gather everything they needed during the 11 months, because when you read what it took to run his household, I mean, it was a lot. Uh, now, of course, remember, with wives and concubines, there was a thousand of them, right? And plus all the servants that he had and everybody else. So that takes a lot of food. So in verse 22, we have the provisions that it took to provide Solomon's household each day of his life. All right, you got your pen down? All right, make your list. His provision for one day was 30 measures of fine flour. Now, a measure is about 10 bushels. So 300 bushels of fine flour a day, plus... 60 measures of meal, or 600 bushels, remember this is per day, 10 prime beef, and 20 commercial grade beef, verses 22 and 23, for the servants and the wives. Really, the, the wives didn't have anything but, but just one step above a servant. I mean, that's just the way the culture was at the time. Women didn't have it too well. 10 fat oxen. 20 oxen from the pastures so the fat would be prime out of the pasture it's just commercial where you don't feed them in the grain and so forth a hundred sheep besides the hearts and the roebucks and the fowl deer and the fatted fowl verse 23 the turkeys and the chickens and on man that really is a lot of food to be consumed in today's time matter of fact just talking about it i'm getting hungry but he did have an awful lot of mouths to feed because each of the wives were probably having children somewhere along the line. For he had dominion over all the region of this side of the river and over all the kings on this side of the river, and he had peace on all the sides around him. Verse 24. The areas from which they gathered the food, if... If you look up these names from Mount Ephraim and so forth, you'll find that actually the whole land of Israel each had its turn in providing for Solomon. 
So one fellow was over each of the parts, even over the other side of the Jordan, the area of Gilead and Moab and so forth. They also were providing for his food, if you follow it through. Plus, he had 40,000 stalls. <laughs> 40,000 stalls. I can't even imagine that. Now, that sounds like such an exaggeration, but and for a long time, people thought that the Bible had just simply exaggerated until the archaeologists began to uncover throughout the land, up in Megiddo and, and all over the land, they uncovered some of Solomon's stables and the hundreds of stalls in some of these cities that they had discovered that the figure 40,000 no longer seemed like that much of an exaggeration. 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen and those officers provided the food for King Solomon. And for all that came to his table. And also the barley and the straw for the horses and the camels. And God gave the wisdom to Solomon. Verses 26 through 29. And, and, and so forth, right? So we alluded to earlier uh, the many Proverbs, of course. We, we have the book of Proverbs. Now, many of the Proverbs do deal with the discipline of children. And no doubt, because Solomon observed heirs of his father David. Now, Adonijah, the one son that rebelled against David, that we studied in chapter 1 tonight, there's a verse that David never did correct for Adonijah. He never did correct him. He didn't correct him. He never said, why are you doing this, son? Never did he speak a word of correction to Adonijah. And Adonijah, of course, later rebelled against the father of David, his father David, which probably prompted Solomon to write in one of these Proverbs, a child left to himself will bring reproach to his mother. Proverbs 29, 15. Or the foolishness of the world is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of instruction drives it far from him. Proverbs 22:15. Or spare the rod and you will spoil the child. Oh, Father, let us take your discipline with knowledge that discipline, true and honest discipline, only comes from a heart of love. And Father, I pray that we dispense discipline to our children with that same manner of love. May we be full of grace and mercy to our fellow man and, as David, have a heart after God's own heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's children said, Amen.